This episode of Bass Freaks is brought to you by Dunlop Bass Strings. Dunlop Bass Strings are made in California and designed by the players of Dunlop to sound and feel the way a string should. With deep lows, strong fundamental punchy mids, and articulate highs. Dunlop Bass Strings offer a complete line with standard nickel and stainless round wounds, flat wounds, and super brights. They're also available in short, medium, and long scales. So go to jimdunlop.com and check out Dunlop Bass Strings. Hello, my friends. Welcome to Dunlop Presents Bass Freaks. This is a place for all of us bass freaks to chat it up, gain a little insight and inspiration, and have some fun with some great bass players. I'm your host, Josh Paul. And today we welcome the very awesome Amos Heller to the show. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers, dude. How are you, bro? Dude, I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I am psyched to be here. Hey. Thanks. Uh, Knuckles. 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 You can't see this, but we're... Bumping knuckles here at the moment. Zoom knucks. Let's talk about uh, some of your history, man. I um, if, for people that don't know Amos, he's the bassist in Taylor Swift's band. And uh, how long you been doing that? It's true. I've been there, been there about thirteen years now. Wow. All yeah. right. All yeah. right. Found a way to hang on, man. Okay, so let's go backward. Tell me about how you started playing bass. Sure. I uh, actually went to a middle school that had a killer orchestra. And when I transferred into the school system, this is back in Virginia. So I'm, I'm from Charlottesville. And they just had a public school system with an excellent fine arts program. They had a great band, theater, orchestra, all that kind of stuff. So I knew when I rolled up in the orchestra that I was probably going to be last chair in whatever section I picked and I kind of figured last chair out of four bassists looks better than last chair out of, you know, 27 violins. (laughs) So it was a bit of, it was a bit of a variation on the, you know, how everybody starts playing bass because everybody else in the band played guitar already. It was like the, maybe like the classical version of that. Got it. (laughs) I loved, I really quickly fell in love with the role it plays in music. I liked the size of it. I'm a pretty small guy and I sort of liked the, the silhouette of this, you know, all my parents' friends could think to say to me when I was little, like, well, that's bigger than you are. I I got the same thing. Did you? Yeah, I did. I did. And to be honest, uh, most bases are bigger than I am still now. Yes. (laughs) They're supposed, they're supposed to be. That's what I kept saying. I get all huffy about it. It's like, they're supposed to be supposed to be tall. Not a cello, you Philistine. Uh, the struggle is real. The struggle is so real. Compact bassists. That's another, you know, it's a whole it's a whole subgenre. We're we're starting a club. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, but uh but I really liked it, man. I liked like the power of it. Like once I figured out the bowing and how to how to get the instrument to, you know, make the sound, I loved it. I loved, you know, because you know, when you play classical music, you just have the stuff that's in front of you. Mm-hmm. And to just be focused on the notes that you're playing and the dynamics that you're, you know, providing to the ensemble. And then to hear all this stuff going on around you that's all built on the foundation of what you're doing, that was that was awesome for me. And to be somewhere where everybody was good with really passionate teachers and we we would go do like competitions. So it it had this real it was like a, it was like a com- combination of an orchestra and a sports team, like just a little bit. Like we go to festivals and compete and try to get good scores. We had trophies and stuff like that. So it was kind of nice. It was like That's half amazing. orchestra, half football. That's awesome. And they still have that program? 
Oh yeah. No, they're still going okay. strong. My, at least my high school orchestra teacher is still teaching at the high school I went to. Oh, wow. At uh, Charlottesville high school in Charlottesville. Uh, Mrs. Thomas, who was definitely one of the, one of the reasons that I'm still a musician. Shout out to Mrs. Thomas. Yeah. Big time. Uh, was there a bassist or someone that you saw as, as a young kid that you thought, wow, I really need to do that. That is what I want to do. A hundred percent. And it was Cliff Burton. Woo! A hundred. You are not lying. No. And, and I, I just, I just watched Scott's bass lessons, just did a great uh, feature on him, on his life and his background. And man, that guy, like between his, how, how he sounded playing. And I loved Metallica. I, you know, I rode in my brother's car to school every day. And that was all he played was like master of puppets, justice. And that's, that's why I fell in love with heavy metal was my older brother, Jesse. So then it was, you know, half orchestra and half thrash metal was sort of how I really got started. And, uh, my girlfriend in ninth grade gave me, uh, do you ever see the cliff them all tape? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's just like just shots of him, a, a bunch of, bunch of takes of the anesthesia solo. And I was, and man, I've heard people talk before about performers kind of giving permission. And I think that's a great way to think about for me, what Cliff did is like, you can do this. You can play lead bass. You can stick out. You can headbang like a madman the entire time, foot up on the monitor. I, I aped him so much as much as I could when I was first starting out. And yeah. Just that really solidified. He's you know, more or less the personification of what I wanted to do and what what I what bass was to me at that time. And I, you know, my tastes have broadened a lot over the years, of course, as all of yeah. ours have. And I've fallen in love with you know, uh, you know, Paul McCartney and James Jamerson and stuff like that. But for me, coming up, it was Cliff, and then it was Flea, and then it was Billy Gould, and it was just and then Rex Rex Brown oh, yeah. from Pantera, like yeah. guys with really piercing tone and parts that really stood out. And I was like, that, that, I love that. I love bass that sticks out and makes just a great big statement. Aggressive. And you yeah. know, as far as Cliff goes, um, and I would say the same sort of about Bootsy as was, mm. they made it okay for you to have your own identity as a bass player. Yes. Yeah. And big time. I, that go inspired me so much as well. Yeah. A, a real, a real fingerprint. And that is, it's a, it's a lofty goal to start out with, you know, for me as when I, you know, so I got my first, uh, my first electric bass for my bar mitzvah when I was 13 years old. And immediately I was like, cool, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna Cliff Burton and flee my way through this thing. What was it? It was an Ibanez EXB 404. Oh, what color? I remember that it was black. Okay. It was, you know, Ibanez road series bass. I think it was made out of balsa wood. It weighed like five and a half pounds. It was so, so light. How high was the action off that fretboard? Oh my God, so high. So <laughs> unbelievably high. I, I also just under understood so little about setups and all, all the other stuff that comes with being a bass player on top of, you know, your facility and fretboard knowledge and approach. There's, you know, use, using the right effects, knowing how to gain stage, you know, understanding your pickups, your preamp, all that stuff. And I didn't understand any of that. And I remember, I don't know what happened or why I decided to do this, but that bass in particular, I ended up putting like a quarter and a nickel underneath each, underneath each bridge saddle. Oh, wow. I lost a, like a saddle screw from one. So I had one, one of the things was tilted to the okay. side, so like a nickel under that to get it level. Out of necessity. I got you. Okay. Out of necessity. And then 
can't remember why I did. I know if I was getting some really bad buzz up and down the fretboard and didn't think to like have it set up or have it straightened. So I, was, I just raised the action. And when I ran out of saddle screw, I put like a couple of pennies in there. And it was just, <laughs> I probably couldn't even play it now. It was just hilariously <laughs> high, but I was playing a lot of upright at the time. So I'm like, okay, this is fine. Yeah. You're adapting. I, I guess so. Yeah, That's you're making word. it work. You were Oof. making it work. I was, was not getting a lot of freelance setup work. I can tell you that. <laughs> That's awesome. So from there, what was your first like real gig, pro gig? I, let's see, we probably have to flash forward to, I went to, went to college at Miami university just outside of Cincinnati, Ohio. Okay. And was kept, kept going with, with bands. I was in a, was in a cover band. We did a lot of like heavier, the heavier side of top 40s. We played like hum. We played a couple of rage covers. We did 311, uh, smashing pumpkins, all that kind of stuff. And then first pro gig, gosh, I mean, I did a little regional touring when I was in Cincinnati. I played for an artist named Rich Hordinsky, who used to be in Over the Rhine. I played with an artist named Kim Taylor. There was a rock band that used to be on MCA called July for Kings that I did some stuff with. That, that's probably the closest to like out of coming out of Cincinnati anyway, the stuff that I could have access to. It was all van and trailer okay. stuff, like nothing, nothing really pro. And in, in fact, I was starting to get like a little a little frustrated. I just couldn't even, even in Cincinnati, which actually, actually has a pretty great music scene. And I was in a, it was an original band and I was doing some, some session and side work. I couldn't, nobody that I knew was doing the tour bus thing was doing anything truly pro. I couldn't see anybody from where I was who was doing the thing I really wanted to do. Like my, my aspirations to be a professional musician had stayed through a couple of detours. And in my mid to late twenties really came back to it hard. It's like, let's, let's do this. Let's really figure this out. And on the, you know, half joking advice of a friend of mine, I moved to Nashville. And so probably my first really pro gig in Nashville was playing for Rhett Akins. Oh yeah. You know him? Okay. He's, uh, so Thomas Rhett, who's, who's doing big stuff now, it's actually his dad. Got it. Okay. Was a, was a, as a great, uh, he's a big writer. He's had a, had a bunch of hits, but I think most of his, artist success was like late nineties kind of stuff. So I, what I, year was that? That was 2006. Okay. I moved to Nashville in 05, started working at Fido, you know, worked at a coffee shop because one must. <laughs> as we do. Uh, as we do. I was uh, coming off of working at Starbucks for two years in Cincinnati. So I'm just getting all the coffee shop, you know, bass player uh, compulsory credits out of the way. <laughs> and then, yeah, just through a, through kind of a friend of a friend gotten, got a sort of informal audition to play for Rhett. And that was my first, like, I, like I, I'm on a, I'm on a tour bus. I, I did it. I'm in, I'm in a bunk. This thing has a bathroom. I've, I've never been so happy in my life. Wow. That's a great feeling. You, that you moment really that was. you step on the tour bus, yeah. especially cruising around in, in vans or what, you know, driving your, yourself to gigs in the little oh, Honda. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, the moment you get to jump on that tour bus is an uh, amazing feeling. What was, what was yours? What was your first bus? Well, I was fortunate, man. I, I was in high school um, uh, or just graduated when I joined Suicidal Tendencies. So oh I, didn't, I didn't have to do the van thing. Oh. I, I, I jumped right on a tour bus as a teenager. And um, the tour bus was bigger than my apartment that I lived in at the time. And... Uh, <laughs> Oh, it's amazing. I was like a mansion to me. So um it was a it was a dream come true for sure. 
that's amazing, man. That's, that was very much what I had sort of hoped and prayed would happen to me is yeah. If, if I could have spun the wheel and come up with, come out of high school and go right into suicidal tendencies, that would have been awesome. As I'm <laughs> it sure was, it was for you, man. It, it really, it really was. Okay. So from, from Rhett, mm-hmm. where did you go from there? Rhett, I, I started playing for another country artist named Josh Grayson, was with him for about a year and then got, got the call to go play for Taylor. So I was in Nashville for two years, I think. I, had, I got some good advice from a friend right when I moved to town. So when I was just trying to meet people, just go out to bars and see bands and just be a person on the scene, you know, which is, which is tough and kind of strangely lonely work. If you don't have a, have a compatriot, cause it's just like at a bar by yourself. And right. you know what, if you need a break from, if you had a rough day at work, that can be awesome. But I like, I'm there to work and like meet people and really trying to flex the extrovert muscles and just having figured out, you know, thanks to some good advice that it's a, a lot of, a lot of it is about connections and the hang and relationships. So relationships. I'm trying to, and I remember I would say to anybody who I, who I can meet, it's like, I'll do, it's like, what do you want to do? I said, I do, I'll do anything. I can do, I feel comfortable doing sessions. I'll do side, side work. I'll do bus stuff. And a friend of mine finally said, he's like, it's hard for me to know how to help you. If I, do, if, if you just say you want to do everything, ah. it's like, what, what do you want to do? I was like, I want to be on a tour bus. He goes, cool. Artist gig is what we call that. So you want an artist gig? I'm like, yes, I do. I don't want to, I don't want to take a turn driving the van anymore. I want to be, I want to sleep comfortably on a bus and do the whole thing. So he helped me kind of like hone in and like figure out the the right folks to meet and the right skills to get together, the right gear to try to, you know, fashion together and learn how to use. So yeah, it was all, it was all just relationships. And I had, I had a really formative moment very early in Nashville, I was doing a, a showcase for a buddy of mine. We're at a rehearsal, you know, we're sort of meeting everybody for the first time. And the drummer uh, was was the band leader for another country artist. And he gets a gets a phone call and he says, hang on guys, I have to take this leaves room for five minutes, comes back, sits down and takes a deep breath, says, do any of you guys know any fiddle players? Mine just quit. And I was like, that's how it happens. That's yeah. That's how it goes. This is it, it's not, it's not, it's not a resume. And in some, in some sense it is the hang and going out and like having a drink with somebody and meeting him at the bar. But like, man, it's like, that's, this guy is, is a pro. He's the Nashville touring pro. I was almost like scared. It's like, oh, there he is. <laughs> you know, I mean, I was, it was in a, you know, in a rehearsal with him, super nice guy, really, really friendly. And I was like, sort of scared that everybody would be, you know, a big crusty over it jerk, but everybody's really nice. Cause it's like, a music town, but it's still the South where nice. Most people are nice and chatty and generally helpful. And there was a real revelation. It's like, that's, it's, it's about having connections. Like what if I played fiddle or what if his bass player had just quit? It's like, I think it's just, it just works like that. And so that was, that was how I made a lot of moves. I just knew folks who thought I'd be a good fit for a musical operation that was losing a bass player. That, that had, that a lot of my moves came just that way. Okay. So would you recommend, uh, for a young bass player or a musician that wants to do what we do, what, what steps would you recommend that they take? Let's give them some advice. Man, that's, that's a great question. One that I get a lot and I'm going to, I'm going to quote my friend, Max Bernstein, who's a, a, he's a guitar player in Taylor's band. He's a brilliant MD. He works with like Weezer and The Offspring and uh, Haley Kyoko and Miley Cyrus. He does really, really big stuff. And I was, he and I were talking about that exact question. 
And his advice, which is the best that I've ever heard is, so you're, you're new to Nashville and you're, you're trying to figure out and you've figured out where you know some, somebody who has a gig like you want is playing. He's like, go watch them. Go support the thing that other people are doing. Go see the show. A lot of people will, as you know, as I think all of us know, like, uh, and, and I can't fault people for doing this one bit because it's what I did. Just go, hey man, I'm a bass player. I'm new to town. I'm, you know, here's, here's a, a couple of videos. I'm looking for work. If you hear of anything, let me know. And you go, okay, cool. And then that person probably passes out of your mind. No, no offense to them. But coming to a show, like fi finding people who are doing stuff that you like, if you like blues or if you like jazz or if you like metal, especially in Nashville and probably most big cities, there's places to go see and participate in that scene. So go find where the thing that you want to do is being done and see how you can help. I'm going to remember someone much more if they're talking about something that I created and care about that they happen to resonate with as well, other than just, you know, again, you can't fault them, but going, hey, if you're hearing about anything, let me know. I'd be like, okay, cool. I'm going to throw you on the pile of 18 people who have all asked me to let them know if I hear anything. Yeah. Build a community, be part of a community. Be part of it. And that, cause that is what it's about. It's about relationships and it's about, you know, being the person that you would want to hire. If you were, if you were in their shoes, like, what do you want? You want somebody who's, who's, whose game is together and whose gear is together. But as you and I both know, it's like you're, you play for two hours a day during the show and the other 22 hours you're living with someone. So, you know, you want, you want <laughs> somebody you get along with and want to spend time with. 100%. Let's, let's talk about, um, you know, going through all of those years. I'm assuming that that prepared you for a big gig with a big pop artist. So where you, when you jumped into that, do you feel that you were prepared or did you have a lot of on the job training. When, when I started, when I started like tour, touring at any kind of level and it, and as you and I both know, like even once you get to the, to the, to the bus, there's, there's levels of the bus. Like, are you doing like club gigs, theater gigs, arena gigs, stadium gigs, international theater gigs. Like there's, there's all these other experiences. So it would be like, you know, when we're gigging and touring, I feel like that's reflected more in like my backpack than my playing, like the stuff that I know that I need to, to sort of function that, that, you know, one emergency at a time, you remember to bring like an extra pair of, you know, extra pair of running shoes, extra pair of headphones, or, you know, backup charger for your computer, all that kind of stuff. But it was, it's, there's, there's the kind of learning that you can only do by experience. You know, somebody could, could sit and tell you about what to, how to behave and, and what to, and what to do, but every, every camp is different. And so you just, it's about getting to know the, the folks that you're around and, and it, it's still like the, the advice I'd give to the mythical young kid, like, how can I help? How can I contribute to this? What is, what can I do to make this a little bit easier? Even if it's just showing up on time with a current passport, that's, that can be huge. <laughs> uh, in the land of rock and roll, you are correct. There, there is all sorts of different stuff that comes with, like I said, like going to different kind of venues and being at a, at, and the difference between you know, being an opening act and you're on someone that, that man, that's probably the biggest one I noticed was being an opening act. You're on someone else's stage, someone else's time. Sound check is from here to here. And you gotta, you know, we don't have a ton of time to work on this and then the other gears got to work right and be quick to pack up small and get it on, get it on stage, get it off, all that kind of stuff. But when we, when we moved to headlining for me, that re that felt like a real sea change in the, in the experience where it's, 
we have techs in a world and I, you know, my bases are in a vault now. It was, you know, like my bases finally got to get on the bus pretty much. I think a vault is a bus for bases. <laughs> I think, I don't know. We can workshop that. Yeah. Google helps. Uh, Google, Google does help. <laughs> well, you let's, know. let's, let's, for people that may not be aware. So the, the country touring schedule, the Nashville touring schedule is quite different than, you know, the rock and roll touring schedule. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. That was, that was something that I, I was really happy to find when I moved to town is that it's so a lot of, a lot of country acts, big and small, they're like outdoor festival season, sort of in the height of summer is where everybody gets an awful lot of work done. There's all sorts of state fairs everywhere. There's, you know, country thunder, country stampede, just a lot of, you know, I guess disaster themed country festivals. Um, so, you, so you do a lot of that during the summer, but also the runs don't tend to be very long. So you, it's a lot more common to leave Thursday night and come back, you know, Sunday lunch or so, and then have most of the week to sit and, and be in town and either, you know, be with your family or keep your, keep your contacts list nice and fresh. So you can go out and you can do stuff in town. You can do sessions and side work and all that kind of stuff. So that, that is really nice. And it's, feels like it's something that's evolved over the years to give musicians who play for country artists a lot of flexibility. So you can go do your gig on the weekend, you come back and play some gigs on Broadway, do some stuff in town, stuff like that. Is Pop that, would you say that that's a typical day for a Nashville touring musician? Typical week? Oh, man, I don't, I don't know. I don't yeah. know anymore. Okay. Um, it has changed. Uh, even since I've been here, I've been in Nashville for five years. But for people that aren't aware, have never been to Nashville, have never played in Nashville, it is different. Man, doing just to rewind a little bit. I So again, for folks who might not know, it's like all over what we call Lower Broadway in Nashville, like right downtown, there's all these clubs with live music going on pretty much all the time. And when I moved here, again, this is forever ago, that was that was a step you hit on the way to being a country session player. And it was really instructive because th those those folks know hundreds of songs. And it's it's for folks who are visiting from out of town who, you know, somebody might walk through the door who's just a huge Buck Owens fan. And if they put, you know, 20 bucks in the jar and they want to hear act naturally, you better know it. So I just tried tried to amass a mat, a huge repertoire of as many country music songs as I possibly could. And I got a lot of death stares on the way to that. <laughs> I'm, I, sure. I had a guy, I'm sure. A, a guy who, who called a song and I said, I didn't know it. He turned around and looked at me. He goes, where were you raised? Wow. Like it's my parents' fault now. Like it was <laughs> generational. <laughs> my not knowing of this song. So I was like, well, I'm going to go, uh, go write a chart for that tonight. So this doesn't happen again. I'm going to bring my parents into this. Oh my goodness. That is, that's funny, but not funny all at the same time. <laughs> it, it's funny now. <laughs> Year, years later on this podcast, it's funny. Uh, sweating through my shirt, st standing downtown two hours into a four hour set where I'd known like four songs. Because <laughs> I just, I mean, I just tried to keep a smile on my face. See, I think that is an important trait, especially, um, being a touring musician and working for different artists. You get into a bus, don't necessarily know the people all the time. You know, there's crew people and just smile as much as possible. Yeah. You know, just go and, with it as much it, as you can. Yeah. And, and just speaking of crew real quick, just to make sure you're, you know, the, the fact that we're on stage under the bright lights can can turn your head around if you're not careful, but it's helpful to remember that those lights wouldn't be there and neither would the stage, you know, without the 
that the professionals that you're putting your life in, that you're, you're putting your life in their hands every time you go out there. So I, I learned to stay, to stay out of the cruise way too. That's a pretty big skill. Absolutely. Um, and much respect to them. Yeah. Big making time. it work. Um, let's see. So tell us about your best gig and your very worst gig. You don't have to name names if you don't want. Oh, okay. Gosh, best gig like ever, ever. Uh, as a professional. Okay. As a, okay. As a professional. Pro, professional. Let's see, man. The, the thing that leaps to mind and this, I, I'm not actually not even sure who, who this is with, but I have, I have big respect for the folks who play at like, you know, some of these uh, country thunder festivals, the folks that play in at two in the afternoon, right into the blazing sun. And like that, that can be, that can be so challenging because at, at that level, maybe you're not commanding a lot of the crowd and maybe you're playing in front of people who just are saving their seats because Luke Bryan is coming on in six hours and they want to make sure that they're in the right spot. So you are sweating your brains out playing to what can be a sea of people like looking at their phones or not really engaged with you. So that feels like a lot of energy laid out for not a lot coming back. And then just, yeah, getting drenched by playing, you know, two in the afternoon in a Oklahoma summer. That can be, that can be pretty tough. That sounds like a country song in itself. (laughs) (laughs) If if the gig gets hard enough, it turns all the way around. You can just describe what's happening over a train beat and you've got a country song. Right. Man, I remember also when I first started out, there was a, it was an artist. I'm not going to name him. He didn't, he didn't do anything wrong. He was actually great to work for, but just the gigs that he booked were so tough. And we were, we would, we would pull up and we would load in, set up and ring out our own PA, run our whole sound check, you know, grab a quick bite, three hour and a half sets of covers and some originals, pack everything back up and, you know, loaded into the van, couple of beers, and then we're on the way to the next thing. That was, that was some of the first touring I did when I, when I got to, got to town. Also playing a casino at two in the afternoon. That's, that's tough. That's something I've yet to do. Yeah, that's tough. That, yeah. That's also a pretty, pretty uh, disconnected crowd yeah. most of the time. So, I mean, that, that can be fine. So you sort of just sort of turn inward and, and like, I'm, I'm just going to, going to focus on me. I'm really going to try to lock in with the drummer and just see if there's some place I can go in my brain to have fun here. But those are really tough. <laughs> Best gig. Yeah. Give me a highlight. A highlight. Like, sure. like your, oh my God, I've made it moment. Um, we, we played a show with Taylor at the Staples Center in LA and Mary J. Blige sat in with us. Ah, and I got to play Family Affair with Mary J. Blige. That was that, that is was, awesome. That was one of the most, and we and we we had worked on it for a long time. I certainly had worked on it for a long time. So I'm listening to like live tapes of her band. Her, I don't know who plays bass for her, but they are magnificent. And it was this great. It's a little bit outside of my wheelhouse. It's sort of more like like '90s R and B, and then uh-huh. the, then the arrangement that they'd done. Same as like I was saying before, like. I couldn't tell you when Family Affair came out, but it's a, you know, it's a classic at this point. So, you know, 10 years of arranging and rearranging, and it was pretty, it was pretty intense by the time I got a hold of a board tape for it. And it was a, I felt it was probably the most present I've been in a, I had been in, in quite a while. And that was, that felt like a real triumph. Once, like once we, once we, you know, crashed out and the lights went down, I was like, whoa. <laughs> 
Yeah. I, you had to be proud though. We, we cool. were not the whole band. Every, everybody just did yeoman's work, putting, putting that song together. And that was, man, that was really, really fun. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Man, I, I, this may be slightly obnoxious to say, but I'm, I'm happy to say that I've had a lot of really great gigs. And there's a lot of just, you know, nothing wrong with that. A nice a show that just went smoothly where, you know, I, I felt like I was on and I was able to stay, you know, really focused on stage and got a lot of energy back from the crowd. Whereas it can, you know, it's easy to get lost in, you know, it's, it's, oh, it's a, you know, it's a bunch of airports or hotels or strange cities or times away from your family. Like every now and then it comes up and just, and just rings your bell. It's like, this is the thing that you wanted to do your whole life more than anything. And you get to do it. Look, just look. I was, I was telling a friend, like, I try to drag 14 year old me with me everywhere I go. I try to drag sophomore year of high school Amos on stage and go, look, look what you get to do. Look, look at this. Look at the gear you get to play through. Look at these beautiful bases. Look at the tour bus you get to go on. Like I, tr I try to keep that, that sense with me as much as I can. Keeps it all in perspective and it's uh, important. gratitude. Yeah. yeah. Cause it, you know, you can, you can turn anything into a slog if you think about it in a particular way. And you can turn most things into something at least partially triumphant if you think about them the right way. That's true. State of mind. That's awesome. It, it, it matters. It matters big time. Yeah. Let's go back to gear, man. What, uh, so what bases are you using? So I'm, I'm big into fenders and Yamahas. Those okay. are probably my, my two favorites, the ones that I use the most. I've got, you know, a couple of a couple of like sort of straightforward P bases that I absolutely love. I have a like a it's like a fifties reissue Mexican P base that's here you go. Yeah, let's hear it. Can you plug it's it in? Something for all your listeners, but I'll show you. Okay. Got that marvelous uh yeah. Is that a salmon color or what is it? Yeah, that? yeah. Fiesta okay. red. Fiesta what red. It, what it says on the label, but salmon's also been called, you know, melon. Melon. And, Ooh. You know, just I really it has it's a fat. single quarter pounds in it. Has okay. a as a I guess I one of the last people to get a uh, actual Leo Kwan uh, badass bridge on it. Is that one I mean, of your mains? This this is a main one. This this okay. comes with me pretty much everywhere. If I you know go to go to a session, if you hired me for a gig that didn't tell me anything about it, I'd probably bring this. It just awesome. it just does a lot of things really well and and workhorse isn't terribly you know expensive or bespoke even though i've upgraded the pickups and bridge and it's just does what a, what a p base is supposed to do it does a lot of things really really well responds to re a really heavy hand or really light touch really well i keep rounds on it most of the time okay what strings do you use i love the uh daddario nyxls i okay. came across a box of those a little bit ago and I, they just they work they they they're nice and, and crispy and then they mellow into a, a really solid brightness that stays for a little while. I don't be sort of because of, I think my love for players like, like Rex Brown and Billy Gould and flea. I like most of my bases have rounds on them and I like mm -hmm. that crispy, you know, attacky sort of sound. So yeah, I mean, it's a maple neck P base, so it's definitely gonna, gonna give you that. And then the NYXLs keep, keep that nice top end for a long time. I found awesome. I, and earlier, um, before we, we actually started doing the show, you were talking about your violin bass. Can you plug that bad oh, boy in? Absolutely. Or a girl, I'm not sure if you've named it. 
Yeah, man, this one's pretty special. It doesn't doesn't have a name, although it says Orlando right on the thing. So I guess we can just Orlando. call it Orlando if we want. I don't know. Are you, do you name your bases? I used to name when I uh, pardon pardon the obnoxiousness, but when I didn't have so many, I used to name my bases, and I that fell off, unfortunately. Yeah, I don't. I have kids, so I don't want to take away. <laughs> I got to give them the attention. I've already named a couple of things. and I just, yeah. know, I'm just out of good names. Some things yeah. have happened for a while. Yeah. So here, here's the Orlando. Oh. Very Beatlesque. You can do some soul stuff on there too as well. Yeah, man. It's, it's great. It records really well. It's like a little bit quirky. It's like one of the, one of those ones that you have to, if no way around a little bit, it doesn't, it doesn't sustain like crazy, but it, it's all passive and has these humbuckers that have just monstrous output. And I like it's, it's, you know, it's like a, maybe a 70 or a 71 and they're rare, but if you find one, they aren't, you know, $6,000. They're, you know, usually under a thousand. Oh, wow. So pretty, pretty accessible. And this is another one that comes with me to every, pretty much every session that I do. It just, it just sits perfectly. This one has, I got it, I got it, you know, nine, nine or 10 years ago and I've never changed the strings. I don't know what they are. They came on it and I've never changed them. Wow. Sounds great. Thank you. Yeah. It looks, it looks very cool too. It's beautiful, like deep brown color. And it's just, you know, it's, it's toured with, it doesn't, I don't tour with it anymore. Mm-hmm. Just because I don't want to subject it to all the, you know, barometric and elevation changes and all that stuff. I just, yeah. I just want it to stick around for a long time and it's a hollow body. So I intuit that it's fairly fragile. So I just want to make sure it sticks around for a long time. That's awesome. What about amps? Uh, amps. I've, I've been, I've actually been using form factor. Do you know about them at all? I'm not familiar with them. Yeah. I, just, I, I ran into them at, at NAM. A couple of years ago, and actually this is, uh, so I met, I got to meet Jack, the guy who makes the Noble bass pre that I'm also a huge fan of. And he was, he was walking around Nam with one around his neck, like a, like a, like a flavor flav clock. He just had a, a Noble on a lanyard basically. Okay. And we were looking for a place to go try it out. And we were standing right next to the form factor booth. And they, they had a thing going that I thought was pretty great. Their whole setup was they had a cable running into a power amp into one of their cabinets. So it was like, no, with no preamp, nothing. What is your, what does this cabinet sound like? Just literally amplifying the sound of your bass. And I was pretty stunned. So I, I like them a lot. And I mean this as praise. I have a 210 of theirs that is monstrously heavy. I think it's like, you know, 65 or 70 pounds. But I I don't know. I, I understand, of course, the the draw of light cabinets, especially if you're hauling them up and down stairs all the time. But for for me, I I like the weight and it's it's really high powered and really substantial. I'm a huge fan. It just sounds really good, really clear. I think they made PAs before. So it has yeah. that kind of thing. Like okay. no, no, almost no color. Like you you'll do the color yourself with your hands, your bass, your pickups, your pre, your drive, your effects, anything else. Like all we're going to do is be a reference monitor. So I'm, I'm a big fan of a uh, form factor. Very cool. How do you choose, um, the right bass for a song? And that's a good, that's a good question. What are your determining factors? Well, genre of course is, is the first thing I'm going to, I'm going to look at. And there's, you know, anything from the, the artists that, 
that might be behind the music to the producer that you're working with. If you have, have stuff that, you know, and it's, it's hard to go terribly wrong. Uh, yeah. It's sort of like, do, do you, do you want a bright, bright tone or a dark tone? Like we're we doing something with rounds or something with flats. If you're doing something with rounds, do we want something active or something passive? And just using, I guess, never really thought about it consciously, but just using kind of a branching decision tree like that usually helps me land on the right thing. I'm, I'm very fortunate to have quite a few bases, but not so many that if I can go, well, I want a warm sounding bass with flats and some definitions like, well, I only have one jazz that has flats on it. So we'll do that one, you know, like that. And I only have one P bass that has flats. I have this Orlando. I have a couple of different like active five strings. That probably would be the one where I, where I would have the most to decide whether I'm going to do this, you know, this Yamaha, this Fender or this other Fender. But the stuff that I rock most of the time isn't, isn't wildly different. I've been messing around with Stingrays a lot recently and kind of falling in love with them, especially the specials, the updated ones. I know you have messed yes. with So I love them. So that's, that's a big new color to paint with for me. So that's, that's another, another branch in the tree as far as that goes. But yeah, just trying to, trying to fall, fall down through and like who, who does, you know, if there's a specific song, it does this remind me of anyone specifically, if it's like, you know, a, a driving rock song that reminds me of Jimmy Eat World, like, ah, you know, P bass for sure. Probably the one with the quarter pounds in it that has a nice, you know, picky definition. Yeah, am I playing with a pick? Am I playing with my fingers? Is God forbid, does this need a slap part? Does this, you know, is do I do I need to use a drive? Do I want it to be, you know, warm and saturated or bright and really, you know, punchy and distinct? So yeah, just just trying to think of w- what I hear in my head once I hear the music. How about you? Okay. Uh, exactly the same. Really, it all depends on on what the situation is, but pretty much the same as you, I'd say. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's. Also sort of, you know, when in doubt, I just pick up a P bass. Yeah. Probably going to work for whatever we're doing, you know? That makes sense. Yeah. A, it is the workhorse. It, it, it is, man. And I think it's it's funny. And I was thinking about this the other day. It's like, I, I they, they sound good, you know, full stop. A P bass is a good sounding bass. But I think there's one of the reasons that we think about it as sounding so good. It was the first one. So, uh-huh. so you know, it, you know, Leo invented an instrument that became immensely popular. And the only one that was available was the one that he came up with. So how crazy is that? I know, dude, it just it's, think about that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> just inv- the stuff that that dude invented. It's like, Oh yeah. he worked on the stingray also. And yeah. GML. yes. I mean, you know, the world would be a different place without him for sure. But I, I think it's funny. Like as, as that music came up and you know, you know, of course, Motown exploded like right after that. So, so much of what we are used to hearing sonically from a bass player is probably a precision. It is and familiar. Yeah. When, when, when folks were crafting the very first rock mixes or, you know, funk mixes, R&B mixes had a P bass in them. And that was just how you carved it out. So it doesn't hurt that it's a, just an outstanding instrument also. Yep. 100%. All right. I know you have children mm, and I do. you're married. Um, how do you balance a uh, career, touring, and uh, family life? Well, that's a, that's a good it's a good question. And I had a had a buddy of mine who 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 said he's like I don't I don't use the word balance. I use the word negotiation. Okay, that's let's, like, that's uh, let's a, elaborate a little bit further. Sure, on that. absolutely. Um, the, well, the, the short answer, of course, is is my amazing wife Kara, who just takes what? Care. Wait a second, your wife's name is Kara. 
My wife's name is Kara. Mine too. I had a feeling yours might be because I see my wife's name on your knuckles every time. <laughs> <laughs> what the heck, man? Dang it. You found me out. Oh, man. That's <laughs> awesome. That, see, that, so that's you, you're a handsome man. We have so many different things in common. Uh, you yeah, have twins. Right. I am a twin. Yeah. We both have uh, Kara as our wife. Yeah. Yeah. That's hilarious. Spelled the same way as well. Yes. Um, but no, I mean, obviously I, I couldn't do it w- without her and any, anything that I go to do that, that moves my, my dream and my passion further down the road is something that lands in her, in her lap. That's more responsibility for her to take on as far as taking care of the kids. And I, you know, I, I sort of like turn in my touring schedule when I get it. And then I can just see her, her brain just like fire up with like, okay, so we'll do this and this, and I'll, I'll, I'll book him a camp here. My mom will take him here. I'll come see you here. I'll bring that, you know, like she, she has a very intentional approach to our life because as a touring player, as you know, you're kind of, you, you know, I, I want to level up to the, you know, Nathan East or Pino Palladino level where you just tour, you know, when you want to with somebody right. that, you know, strikes your fancy, you might, you might do, but you know, it's not the case right now. So I, I sort of exist at somebody else's uh, ideas and plans. So I just sort of, because that can be unpredictable at times. So I just, I count on her to sort of form a functional family life that I'm still a part of around the the craziness and the absence that's a part of being a touring player. And it's it's been so long since we've done a show and the the twins are just about to be five. So I, they, they still have no idea, I think, what I, what I do. <laughs> I, think, I think what I do is in here. They're like, I'm at work right now. Like I go in here and clickety clackety and you can hear me talking about distortion pedals to the camera back here but oh that's just uh, dad he's working that's just dad yeah yeah i've been seeing some badass demos that you've been doing online oh thanks how are those come those are awesome you sound great you look at you all pro and stuff with your camera (laughs) work that is awesome man i am just a a loose association of youtube tutorials pretty much (laughs) you know it was, I got actually uh, got into the whole thing. I work with Yamaha a lot and they did a great thing once the, when the pandemic hit where they were just trying to get some of their folks working in some capacity. So they said, can you film a short lesson and then it's like a short performance piece, something we can put out and share to show what folks are, you know, doing now that touring is shut down. And that just kind of dragged me into it and decided that, you know, I had a camera, it's finally time to learn how to use it and, get some of the home recording, just straightforward stuff, really, really dialed in and together. And I mean, I got a lot of support from the companies I reached out to because I need some, you know, some raw materials. I reached out to JHS and Dark Glass and Ernie Ball. And those folks have been so, so kind about sending me stuff just to play around with. But man, the creative aspect of doing that has been really fun for me. It looks totally pro, I got to say. I mean, it doesn't look like you don't know what the hell you're doing at all. So good kudos to you on oh, that one. Um, Thank you. Tell me, what's the process on that? What, what On your first one, were you crapping your pants? Or were you like, oh my God, what am I going to teach here? What are we doing here? Um, the the subject matter of the lesson came to me pretty quickly. I really like a uh, palm muting uh-huh. on, on bass, either with a pick or just with your thumb. And I thought, man, that's a great thing. I can explain it quickly. It's it's great for beginners or, you know, maybe even more advanced folks who haven't tried it. So man, the first thing I did certainly was just turn on the camera and just get up there and go for it. Just, you know, sort of off the cuff, off the top of my head, just like I'm teaching a lesson or talking to somebody 
And then the editing process started and I had a lot of stuff. I was like, I'm going to get, get rid of this. No, I said that too many times. And so now I actually use a script, but it all, it all starts with, starts with the gear, whatever the, you know, distortion pedal, amp, pickups, bass, whatever it is that I'm using. It's about spending time and getting to know that. And man, I've, I've had a lot of pieces that the first time I pick them up and mess with them, I'm like, no, 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 that's going to be okay. I'm sure we'll figure out something to talk about. And by the end of the process, I'm just in love with it. Ah, like, okay. So give me an example. Is there something that really inspires you right now gear wise? Uh, well, I've been doing a lot of stuff with dark glass and that's been really fun. And I think I was, to be perfectly honest, a little dubious about it at first. Cause when I think about dark glass stuff, like most folks do, I think like metal, that's super, right. you know, drivey, grindy top end kind of thing. And I was like, wow. I mean, that's, I like metal and stuff, but that's not a lot of what I do now. I grew up playing it, but that wasn't my tone back then. I don't know how my playing is going to fit together with this. And then figuring out how well that stuff works at lower gain settings for just like some nice saturation or some more straight ahead kind of warm distortion. It does that stuff really well. And then when you put it at the extreme settings, you still get that, that clank and that grind and that amazing top end, but it's a lot, it does a lot of subtle things really well. So I've been pretty inspired by that. Awesome. You know, I just got to mess around with the uh, Nordstrand Asinonix. Oh, awesome. That is a really, really, this a, that weird, like short scale, uh, sem- uh, it's not semi hollow, but it's got a real sort of like retro sort of pawn shop vibe about it. But it's got brilliant pickups and this really unique switching system. So I'm really enjoying, if I can't be out playing music in front of people, it's been really fun to dive deeply into, into gear and really learn it you know, to really take the time to sit down with, with something and figure out what does this do well, you know, cause all distortion pedals, all compressors are all, you know, all envelope filters aren't created equal. Every one of them has some unique thumbprint and it can take some time to drill down and figure that out. But man, that's been really fun. I feel like I'm leveling up in how I understand gear and how to get it to work together. So man, that's been really fun. That's awesome. And not only have you been learning, um, you've been staying busy during this last, you know, crazy year that we've had. But uh, good job on that. I love those videos. Make sure, everybody, that you check them out and go see Amos when he's on tour. Thank you so much. I am grateful for you, man. Um, Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad I'm glad you're doing this. This is a it's, a it's a cool thing to have out there. You know, it's 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 nice for bass players, any bass player, to get to step up front a little bit and, you know, just talk about ourselves. <laughs> Somebody wants to talk about bass gear with me. And right. Don't go. We're, we're building our community up, man. <laughs> Big time. <laughs> that is our show for today. Thank you for joining us. Stay healthy and kind, spread love, good vibes and inspiration. And remember, you got this. Follow your path and just play. I'm Josh Paul. Hope to see you out there sometime soon. And thank you to Dunlop for making the show possible. Be sure to check out Bass Freaks wherever you get your podcasts. Cheers. <laughs>